Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Aw, that's us. Hi, I'm Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and a, a good friend to the universe. That's true. A good friend. A good yes. friend. I'm Corinne Caputo, writer, good friend of the universe. Go, we're going to the holiday party for the universe. We are. We, we got, got the our invite. invitations. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> the invitation was so yeah. heavy. I think it had to pick up a lot of dust on the way. Traveled far. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we are, speaking of holiday, we're in the best place to be for the holidays. A cozy winter cabin. There's a fire on. There's a tea kettle that mm-hmm. might pop in at some point. And we're just, mm-hmm. it's cold outside and warm in here. And it's the coziest place to be. There are few feelings on Earth better than being warm when it's cold outside. I love it. I feel Feels so, so lucky and comfy. Mm-hmm. Corinne, uh, what, what type of tea are you sipping on? That's a really good question. And I am a mint tea person. Mm. I am not nice. a tea head in almost any way. I'm a, unfortunately a coffee person. And that is a struggle at night. Mm, I bet. I can see how that would be. I love a little espresso. I'm like, I feel like I'm an old Italian man in a lot of my <laughs> tastes. <laughs> that is... Like, give me a little espresso and like an orange slice. <laughs> One singular orange Like the peel slice. of an orange, not even the, the oh. fruit of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's definitely old Italian man energy. Mm-hmm, you need mm-hmm. to be sitting in a villa looking over some lemon trees. Yes. And I take a nap every day. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Take a little nap in the afternoon where the whole country shuts down. Exactly. Business. Life as um, it should be. As it should be. I love a mint tea. You have you have good taste there. But I also I just love teas in general. Mm-hmm. Um, herbal, mostly. Mm-hmm. And my mom has gotten me very into loose leaf teas. So I have like a oh. whole assortment. I brought a couple uh, to the cabin because yeah. I wanted to share them with you. Um, but I, I, I didn't bring any mint. So you can you can stick to your your mint tea you know what i might do i might have eggnog oh it is like something i sip once a year and this is the day for it it is it is the season Uh uh-huh yeah um i'm gonna be over here rocking my rooibos based herbal Mm. loose leaf tea Mm -hmm. with copious amounts of honey yes it needs honey it does need honey i saw Mm -hmm. the funniest tiktok where somebody pronounced chamomile tea chamomile So now I've been saying that. Chamomile. Chamomile. I love that. Do, do, do. It's, it's, uh, it sounds like a jingle. It does. The start of a jingle. You're so right. Okay, so we are sipping our teas. We are in our cozy cabin. Um, We are going to be talking about the sky outside. If you are listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, then we are all preparing for the December solstice on December 21st. And where Corinne and I are up in the northern hemisphere, it's the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with uh, it's about to be Christmas time or Hanukkah season or Kwanzaa or whatever winter holiday you celebrate, if you celebrate at all. But for our friends down in the southern hemisphere, it's summer. Uh, Those lucky bastards. That's so weird (laughs) Uh, for me to imagine. I know. I know. It is is hard to picture. I um, never thought about Christmas in the Southern Hemisphere until Mm -hmm. I started preparing for this episode. That's so funny. I get um, 
there's a magazine I love called Frankie Magazine. It's an Australian magazine, and they just like pull Sounds really Australian. cool. Yeah, they pull like really cool Etsy shops and like little makers and stuff. But their schedule is on the opposite time of ours. Like mm. they'll be sending me an email or something about like summer clothes, and it's December, and I'm like, this doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, get get your Christmas bikini ready. Yeah, but that was the first time I was like, oh my god, some people are in the summer for Christmas. Yeah, um, I mean that's L.A. too. Oh, true. It's again cool. a weird feeling. <laughs> I think New England Christmas. My comment doesn't change. This cabin, by the way, is in New England because that's such a Christmassy time. Yeah, it's like it's like a, like a Vermont. Mm-hmm. Like we're mm-hmm. in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about things that everyone will be able to see, no matter where they are. And then we'll do Southern Sky specific things and then Northern Sky specific things. How's that sound? Love it. Do you know of anything coming up that you are looking forward to, Corinne? Um, not exactly, but I've been loving how clear the nights have been f- for stars. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this before, but I have a skylight in my living room and... I can see the stars at night and it's been so cool. That's so nice. Yeah, I have a a little balcony and uh, I go out and because I'm the top balcony, there's nothing above me. So I can just look up at the sky, which is uh, this is the first place I've lived in where I can do that Mm because before there were other tall buildings and before that there were trees because I lived in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I can actually see the sun move like north and south as the as the year goes on. So cool. when I moved here in May, the sun was like right across the street from me. And now I can see like it is markedly more south. Oh, I love that. It's really cool to see. So I'll, I'll be able to see uh, in a few days on the December solstice when the sun reaches its southernmost point for me uh, up here in the northern hemisphere. And then I'll see it like start to change direction and come back north. And I've intellectually known this for a long yeah. time. I studied it in school, but, but it's, it's totally different to see But it's always fun to, see to like, get that kind of hands-on experience yeah. of it. Yeah, hands-on, yes. <laughs> Eyes-on. <laughs> your hands on the sun, moving it. <laughs> Just, like, 10th degree burns. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you would get but it. worth it for the learning. <laughs> so worth it. Like, you would be uh, incinerated to a crisp, but... But you would have died knowing what the sun feels like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the things that people will be able to see over the next few months, no matter where they live. Unfortunately, uh, this episode is coming out on the 18th, so we just missed the Geminid meteor shower, which happened last week. Um, the Geminids is something you should put in your calendar. It happens every year in mid-December, but this year it's peaking around the 14th or 15th of December and it is the best meteor shower of the entire year because if you're in a dark enough spot you'll be able to see up to 150 meteors per hour oh my like they're gosh just, they're whizzing by so many streaks uh, they originate in the Gemini constellation but they're they appear all over the sky because we're passing through their cloud unfortunately we missed that But that's okay because there are more meteor showers coming up. Just in a few days, actually on the solstice, you'll be able to see the Ursids meteor shower. Uh, They're called the Ursids because they come from the direction of the constellation Ursa Minor, the small one, the little bear. And it's a weaker meteor shower. You only see about five to ten meteors per hour. And what's the moon phase going to be like then? 
Hmm. Oh, unfortunately, you're going to be in like a like a gibbous moon. So there's going to be a lot of moonlight and the sky is going to be brighter. So it will be harder for you to see the Ursids. But uh, if you're in a dark enough spot and you wish <laughs> you wish upon a star, uh, you'll, you'll be able to see some. But the the meteors that are coming from the the Ursids shower, they are produced by dust grains left behind by a comet called Tuttle, uh, which was first discovered in 1790. And the shower runs every year, so this is another one that you can put in your calendar every year from December 17th to the 25th, and this year it just happens to be peaking on the night of the solstice. So good luck. I hope you can see some Ursid meteors. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the next day, on the 22nd, is when the actual solstice is. The solstice changes every year, but it's always going to be like around the 21st, 22nd. It just depends on when the Earth actually gets to that point where the sun uh, mm -hmm. seems like it's at its southernmost point or northernmost point if you're in the southern hemisphere. So the, the day of the solstice is the day that Earth's axis, the line that we rotate around, is perfectly in line with the sun. So it causes the shortest day to happen in the North Hemisphere and the longest day to happen in the South, because in the South, the axis is pointing like directly at the sun. So it seems to be at its highest point overhead. And that is how solstices work. And the the June solstice is, is the exact same, but like flipped mm -hmm. uh, so that instead of the South part of the axis pointing towards the sun. It's the north part of the axis pointing towards the sun. And the equinoxes are when, when the axis is pointing like parallel to the sun. So not towards or away. That's on the 22nd. So everyone get excited. Um, celebrate the beginning of winter <laughs> on the 22nd. And then on the 27th, we have our December full moon. Do you know what the name for the December full moon is? All of the full moons have names. I didn't know that, and I don't know it. Yeah, it comes from folklore. Um, different cultures around the world have had their own names for it, but a lot of the ones we still use, ones like the flower moon, which is sometime in the spring, those are coming to us from Native Americans and their mm -hmm. their lore. And so the December full moon is called the cold moon. Ooh, cold. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's a cold month. Uh, sometimes you might also hear it referred to as the long night moon. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it makes sense. It's the longest night of the year. Uh, it could also be called the moon before Yule, because... The holiday Yule is just is just yeah. around the corner. Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as nice as cold moon. <laughs> Yule really moon, doesn't. maybe. <laughs> well, there's also a moon after Yule, so like you gotta right. Gotta be careful. Yeah. And this year, the full moon in December does happen right around Christmas, which is like right around Yule tide. But it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes the cold moon is much earlier in December, mm -hmm. so it wouldn't be as easy to associate it with uh, with Yule. Yeah. But that's it for this year. Uh, then we, we roll into the new year. And on January 3rd, we have another meteor shower. We are constantly just passing through these debris fields of space junk. Yeah. This one in January is called the Quadrantids. Uh, the Quadranted meteor shower comes from our least favoritely named constellation, <laughs> the Buotis <laughs> constellation, <laughs> with its shame certificate <laughs> that's back from our constellation episodes if you haven't listened to them you gotta go check them out we did an episode for the northern constellations mm -hmm. and one for the southern constellations because we are not about southern exclusivity here no. like we 
We're trying to be inclusive of, of everyone. Everybody's going to get an award, or most of them will get. <laughs> most, it might be a shame award, but mm-hmm. you know, at least hey, at least you got recognized. You still got an award. <laughs> um, so the quadrantids come from the Buotis constellation. You'll see up to forty meteors per hour at its peak around uh, January 3rd. Again, it's an annual one, so you can set your calendars. Uh, I have yet to do this, but maybe I should spend some time tonight just putting all the meteor showers in my uh, in my calendar, because yeah. I've never seen one. Like, there's, I've never actually made it out to see some meteors. I was going to say, there's got to be some kind of Google Calendar integration that'll, like, just show it for you. Oh, you're so right. All right, that's that's uh, well, post recording voyage job. TM TM, we got it, we got it. Copyright. <laughs> These meteors are thought to be caused by dust grains that are left behind by an extinct comet. So the comet itself has been broken up into all these tiny little pieces, and it, mm-hmm. it's not actually around anymore. Um, but it was known as 2003 EH1. Unsurprisingly, it was discovered in the year 2003. <laughs> Um, And and it comes back and we will continue to see these meteors every early January until they run out because the comet isn't around anymore. On January 12th, we get some planet action. Finally, the planets have been very boring this whole season. Yeah. Uh, On the 12th, Mercury, the closest planet to the sun, will be at greatest western elongation. Which confusingly means that it is brightest in the east just before the sun rises. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, the sun will be rising quite late by then, so there's a chance I'll see it. Exactly. Yeah, especially <laughs> as you're getting on your 5.30 a.m. train. I've been taking a 5.30 a.m. train to Boston twice a week, and it's been so dark and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hopefully in January you'll be able to see Mercury, and you can point up and you can be like, that's Mercury. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Me to all the other train riders. Guys, look. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll make you a huge hit on the commuter rail. Yeah. They're like, please be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's the western elongation, but it appears in the east part of the sky. And uh, we, we have this very confusing little linguistic switch up because from our perspective, if you were to zoom to like behind Earth and see the whole Earth sun mercury system from our perspective mercury is on like the right side of the sun like Mm -hmm. the right hand side of the sun and so we see mercury's western side okay okay yeah i don't know why we continue to name things in the most confusing least intuitive way possible but we do you know and i guess that gives me job security because i can continue to explain it (laughs) i'm just gonna say it and then we get to create people who need to explain it yeah. Uh, so that's on, on January 12th. You can go out. It's going to be the way that you can tell the planets from the stars is that stars twinkle. Planets do not twinkle. Mm. So on January 12th, early in the morning, you go out, you look towards the east and you'll see a bright, non-twinkling spot in the sky. And that will be Mercury. Love good that. Luck. That's a good hack. I think you've said that before and I forgot. Yeah, it is. They look the same. Except yeah. for that one one thing. And some of the planets do have a little bit more color, but some stars also have a lot of color. Like yeah. um, Betelgeuse is noticeably red yes. as a star. So really the only difference, the only clue you have is, is look for the things that don't twinkle. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you see something really bright that doesn't twinkle, like the brightest non-twinkling thing that isn't the moon, 
that's going to be Venus because Venus is, is the brightest planet. Ooh, I got to write this down, put it in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have picked this stuff up over the years, not for any professional reasons, but because... It's a nice thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. It's nice on dates. It's Ooh, nice when yeah. you're out with, with friends that you're trying to impress. Yep. It's just like when, when you're out with other people and you can point up and actually say and what no. some things are in the sky. Yeah. It earns I've been points. making it up. <laughs> I've also been pointing <laughs> at the sky and explaining it. <laughs> a little hack. <laughs> you little chaotic evil gremlin. Yeah, you. imagine. <laughs> That's what I'm doing on the morning train, all the Amtrak people. Ooh. <laughs> Hilarious. Anything you do before sunrise is allowed. <laughs> You're right. It's it's uh it's an unreal time. Yeah. Nothing you do counts. Mm-mm. <laughs> um so that's the twelfth. On January twenty-fifth, we have another full moon. Uh, do you know what the January full moon? You, I, you said you didn't know what any of them were called. I don't, so but I'm dying I'll to stop. know. Oh, could you, if you had to name the January full moon, what would you name it? First moon. Yeah, that's good. Or I was going to say new moon because it's like new year, but new moon is something else. Right. That would be a it's little confusing. Claimed. We call the January full moon the wolf moon because Ooh. it's around the time of year that wolf packs start to howl. I like that. Yeah. We also call it the old moon. Hmm. For some reason. The old moon, there she is again. It's the opposite of the new moon, what you wanted to call it. Yeah. Huh. I don't like that one. <laughs> um, oh, we, we skipped over my birthday, which is uh, not an astronomical event, but is still very important. It's January An 8th. astronomical event to some. <laughs> to some. It's astronomically important. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> to everyone, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's January. February, also pretty light on the celestial events. We're going straight to February's full moon. Uh, what would you call this one? Well, this is certainly not what folk like people have called it in the distant past, but like the Valentine moon, the lover's Ooh. moon. <gasps> I love the lover's moon. That's so good. Well, we can rename yeah. it. Okay. I'm going to start calling it the lover's moon. Um, In the past, it has been known as the snow moon for Mm -hmm. heavy snowfalls around this time of year. Also, the hunger moon because food is scarce in February. Yeah, it's the uh, probably the the most food scarce time of the year in the northern hemisphere. You're like really far in between your harvest seasons. Everything's so cold and under snow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're running out of your stores. Yeah. Hunger Moon. But Lover's Moon, so good. Love Lover's yeah. Moon. Uh, and then the vernal equinox, which marks the end of winter and the beginning of spring, will be on March 20th, 2024. March 20th. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the vernal equinox is a little bit early mm-hmm. this year. And has good. been for, for the last, like, 10 years. It's it's on. We're in a phase where the vernal equinox is on the 20th instead of the 21st yeah, these days. Yeah, I remember thinking that last year, too. That it was early. Good. Mm-hmm. Get winter out of here. Get it gone. Uh, let's, let's bring some more <laughs> back. Hey, it's Corinne. Moya is lovingly staring up at the night sky, so I thought I'd take this minute to thank our patrons who support the show every single month. 
So thank you as always to our Sunlike Stars, Sharon Llewellyn, Lissa, Ian Williams, and Ian O'Leary, and our newest Sunlike Star, Scott Reynolds. Thank you to our latest pre-main sequence star, Matthew Nickler. You can support us, hear your name on the show, and make it to our patient star chart all by supporting us on Patreon for just about a dollar per episode. And if you sign up for an annual membership, you get a 13% discount. Find the star chart, Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that's fine. You are still space, and we love you very much. You can support us by reviewing the show on whatever app you use and sharing it with your friends. And if you wish you had more Multitude shows to catch up on, I have really good news. Members of the Multicrew get a whole RSS feed of bonus audio, including our newest show, The Multicrew Review. Every month, Julia of Spirits and Join the Party sits down with other members of Multitude to talk about something that they love and think you'll love too. From video games and albums to activities like gardening, the members of Multitude share their passions with the hope that they can introduce you to something you'll love. Along with Head, Heart, Gut, Multicrew Review is exclusively for members of the Multicrew, which is the membership program that supports all of Multitude. You can get Multicrew Review and Head, Heart, Gut, the other audio-exclusive show, by going to multicrew.club and sign up today. Okay, back to the show. So that's what people will be able to see no matter where they live. There are some things that are going to be specific to certain hemispheres because of where they are in space. We have done episodes that cover the coordinate systems. Uh, So we've talked about right ascension and declination. Declination is like latitude. It Mm -hmm. tells you how far north or south something is. And if an object has a southern declination, then it's going to be visible from the southern hemisphere and vice versa. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the Southern Hemisphere first, because I feel like they always get relegated to last, and that's not fair. Yeah. But I do want to say first that there is this confusing thing about seasons. So many people think that the changing of the seasons happens because Earth's orbit isn't circular, and at some moments we are closer to the sun than others. That is true. At some moments we are closer to the sun, but that has nothing to do with our seasons. For example, right now, uh, during the December solstice, we are actually near our closest approach to the sun. We are closer to the sun by about three to five million miles than we are in June during the northern hemisphere's summer. Um, And I, I like looked up whether or not the southern hemisphere has more extreme summers yeah, and that winters. Yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, because they're closer during their summer, so you would expect it to be hotter, and they're further away during their winter, so you would expect it to be colder. Um, it turns out that it's not quite that simple, mostly because the southern hemisphere has a lot more water coverage than the oh. northern hemisphere. Yeah, the northern hemisphere is only uh, like 40% water at the surface, but the southern hemisphere is about 80% water. Wow, that makes, oh my gosh, Earth is so perfect for humans. I know! <laughs> I know. We got so lucky. Like got not so freaking lucky. Like so many things went right for us to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that that is what you're taking away from this, because it's so true. Um, so they actually have, in the Southern Hemisphere, at least similar, maybe even more mild summers, mm-hmm. because the water like provide some some cooling effect. It, water is really good at, at drawing in and keeping in energy, so it, it makes it stay warm longer and it makes it stay cooler longer. Um, so they have like less extreme summers, 
but slightly more extreme winters be- because mm-hmm. of something having to do with Antarctica mm-hmm. and like okay. the way that it plays with with the water. I don't know. There's like very cool climate science happening. But I wanted to look into that today because I always assumed yeah. well, as soon as I learned that we're closer to the sun during southern summer, I assumed their summers would be hotter. Yeah, of course. But it's just not not the case. I no, love when my no. intuition is wrong when I get to learn something new. Yeah. Uh, okay. What can people in the South see this season? Well, you're in luck if you're in the South because you already have better views of the Milky Way galaxy and the things surrounding it than us here in the North. I am, again, jealous. But down there, down under, you'll have a, a pretty good view of the large and small Magellanic clouds this winter. Uh, they are visible to the unaided eye, so you don't need binoculars or a telescope to find these clouds. You can just do it with your eyes. Even for people who have, like, not great eyesight. Like, I can still see them if I take my glasses off. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, because yeah. I can't see mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> or I feel like I can't. Well, they're just blurry patches of light, so yeah. you don't actually have to make out any detail. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to try and find the large and small Magellanic clouds, you can do that by first finding the Southern Cross or the Crux, as it's called. Um, this is a, a constellation. We talked about it in our constellation episodes, but it, it looks like a, a little cross of, I think, like five or six stars. And if you follow going like down towards the bottom of the cross and you follow that for, they say, six hand lengths. Ooh. Then you will see the large Magellanic cloud, and then an extra hand length takes you to the small Magellanic cloud. That's so fun. And this is like from my perspective. Like if I were yeah. to close an eye and lay five hands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it works. I mean, the magical thing about angular size, right? Because it's really dealing with the angular size of your hand, is it's proportional to your body. So. Um, this advice works for you. It would also work for like Shaquille O'Neal because yeah, even though yeah, he has yeah. bigger hands, his arms are longer, so his hands are farther away, and they're probably the same angular size. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, so everyone can do five hand spans from the Southern Cross to get to the the Large Magellanic Cloud. That's what we should be doing for everything. That's the unit of measurement that we need to crack. <laughs> That is how Polynesian wayfarers were measuring stuff and navigating um, on the seas using the stars for like a thousand years before Europeans were using compasses to get across the Atlantic Uh, Ocean. We're so embarrassing. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm only taking half of that. Yeah, yeah. Don't take the full weight. Um, just a bit more information about the, the Magellanic Clouds. Uh, there is a, a movement, a small movement, but a, it's growing traction to change the names of these clouds because they're named after Ferdinand Magellan, who was supposed to be the first person to circumnavigate the globe. He didn't finish the journey, and also he was a colonizer, Flop. and so maybe we shouldn't name these things after him. <laughs> uh, so there is a movement to name to rename these clouds. But the clouds themselves are little satellite galaxies. They are uh, small. We might call them dwarf galaxies or irregular galaxies. They are small. They don't have that many stars. um, And they orbit the Milky Way galaxy. Eventually, the Milky Way is going to uh, absorb both of these small little satellites through gravity. We usually lump them together, but they, they are 
not right next to each other. The Large Magellanic Cloud is 160,000 light years away. The Small Magellanic Cloud is 210,000 light years away. Wow. They're quite distant from each other. Um, the Small Magellanic Cloud is the most distant object that Southerners can expect to see with their unaided eye at this time of the year. I never thought of that um, superlative, like for what like the furthest thing we could mm. see is. And I that's great. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's the Small Magellanic Cloud. At other times of the year, uh, I think it's the Andromeda Galaxy, mm -hmm. but it will have just set. Mm -hmm. um, at this time of year, the Andromeda Galaxy is on the other side of the sun, so we can't see it. Yeah, okay. And those are the clouds. You'll be able to see them all winter long. Um, in January, in the Southern Hemisphere, you'll be able to see the double star Zeta Reticuli, or Reticuli. Um, it will be visible. It's this uh, double star system, and you can actually resolve the stars with your own eye. So you can tell that the stars are separate. Oh, but they will cool. look very close to each other. You mm -hmm. can do that without a telescope or without binoculars. Um, both of these stars are uh, about 39 light years away. They are orbiting each other. They're like a thousand astronomical units away from each other. So pretty, pretty close. Mm -hmm. They're a binary pair. Uh, and they are both pretty sun-like. Like one is 92% the mass of the sun. The other is 96% the mass of the sun. And so this was a, a well-known or like a... It got a lot of attention as a, a binary star system because they were so sun-like. And for years, people kept trying to find exoplanets around one of or both of these stars. And a couple times, we, we thought we found one. We, we thought we saw one with the radial velocity method making the star wobble. And then it was uh, shown not to be the case. And then we thought we saw a, a disk of dust and gas forming planets around one of these stars and then it turned out to not Aww. be the case <laughs> but we keep trying yeah <laughs> to, i to love the effort i know never give too. up <laughs> too. but there is another reason that zeta reticuli is a popular or like well-known star system do you remember from our uap or ufo episode betty and barney rubble yes <laughs> the the couple who started the trend of um, claiming you had been abducted and experimented on by aliens. Mm -hmm. They were this couple in 1961. They were an interracial couple. Oh, he was I... black. She was white. I didn't I didn't know I this know until I saw news clippings today. And um, they were both pretty involved in the civil rights movement. They were both well-respected in their communities. So when they came out with this story, which they were kind of reluctant to do. They risked it all. They risked it all. I was blown away. I, I was very impressed by by their story. But then, but then uh, okay, so they, they popularized the alien abduction story. They should be getting residuals. <laughs> I'm giggling because there's like, so, there's so much to this story. They didn't want to come out and tell people about this story but the newspapers got like a wind of it they ended up going to this like hypnotist to try and recover their memories from from the event and betty remembered seeing a star map on the alien ship and she drew out the star map and it looks like 
the star map of the Zeta Reticuli system. And so people were like, well, the aliens came from Zeta Reticuli. And now sometimes people will call the little gray men, these little aliens that got so popular, Zeta Reticulans. <gasps> I am f- all in on that story. <laughs> Absolutely, that's what happened. And that is where they're from. 100%. So you can see that in the southern sky in January of 2024. Amazing. <laughs> if you want to know where where the little green men were Where Betty from. and Barney Hill went. <laughs> oh, it is Barney Hill, not Barney Rubble. <laughs> well, I, I feel like it is weird that Barney and Betty Rubble are named that. Yeah, that's what we talked about in the yes, UAP episode. That is what that's we why I got about. confused. Um, yeah, so have fun with that in the Southern Hemisphere. Love that. We up in the Northern Hemisphere don't have quite so beautiful views of the night sky, but we have some good stuff to see up here. We have the Pleiades cluster. Uh, this is a legendary star cluster. It's uh, When you see it with your unaided eye, it looks like a group of six, maybe seven stars in the constellation Taurus, uh, so the bull. And they have been depicted in so many myths from around the world because they're kind of near the equator. Mm-hmm. So you can see them from the from the north and the south, but mostly the north. Um, they have been depicted in myths as sisters, most often, sometimes a flock of birds. And usually they're being chased by something. Maybe they're being mm-hmm. chased by the bull and they're a group of swans. Or maybe they are a group of sisters and they're being chased by Orion, the hunter, who is another constellation nearby. And like when you look at the sky, it does kind of look like he's pointing his arrow at the Pleiades. Yeah. Uh, and so there are all these myths about these hunters or, or, or these sisters or swans or birds or whatever being hunted. It's a cluster of new stars. Um, we think it's pretty young, only about 20 million years old because it hasn't broken apart. This mm-hmm. is a type of cluster of stars that does tend to fracture over time as it orbits the galaxy because of gravitational interactions, but it hasn't fractured. It's still intact. So we think it's fairly young and uh, it's about 400 light years away. There are probably thousands uh, or like a thousand stars in this little cluster and we see six or seven of them. It used to be seven. And in the myths, you would see them talk about the seven sisters and then you can kind of see it shift to myths talking about only six sisters, which is really cool because you can see that over time, this cluster looked different to humans. Uh, Like maybe some of the stars moved, so they got closer together and we couldn't tell them apart. Maybe one of the stars like died or something. It's unclear, but it's cool how we can see that change happening in the folklore. That's so funny. I'm immediately going to, not that the sky has changed, but some deep drama happened between the sisters and one of them is like not recognized anymore. <laughs> oh, you're right. Like they just refused to the acknowledge one of essentially. the stars. Yeah. <laughs> that could also be the case. Maybe that's why she disappeared. Mm, such drama. I would watch the, the real housewives of the Pleiades cluster. That, okay. Trademark on that too. <laughs> Corinne, we have so many TV shows and we things we need to make. We have too much to do. So much. We're so busy. Uh, so that's the Pleiades, who in some cultures are being chased by my fave. I think we decided he was, what, the sexiest man in the sky? Orion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, who you can see from my skylight. Oh, I love 
that. Yeah, Orion is a winter constellation mm-hmm. up here um, in the northern hemisphere. Actually, Orion also very close to the to the equator or the ecliptic, so you can see him from the north and the south. So Orion is visible. His nebula is also visible. Mm. The Orion Nebula is uh, also called M42 or Messier 42. It's the 42nd object in the Messier catalog of like weird stuff in the sky. And it is a star forming nebula about 1500 light years away. And you can see it if you are in a dark enough spot and if you have really good eyesight. Um, But if not, it's probably best to try out some binoculars or a telescope. It is worth it because it's gorgeous. So there's Orion, and Orion has his belt, the three stars that go around his waistline. Hanging from Orion's belt is his sword. He has has, uh, his arrow, and then his sword hangs from his belt. His sword has three stars in it, just like the belt, but the middle star is where the Orion Nebula is. So if you Mm -hmm. look around the middle star of the sword, which you could also potentially interpret as a, a, a... Something else of Orion's, but the, the <laughs> nebula, the nebula is right there in whatever yeah. is hanging from his waist. Perfect. Exactly. Right where it should be. And there are so many beautiful nebulae and Messier uh, objects that you can see in the north because Charles Messier, the person who made these uh, this catalog, was in the north. So all of his stuff is up here. Uh, there's the Crab Nebula, which is the remnant of the really uh, well-recorded 1054 supernova uh, that was recorded around the world and, and, and by some Chinese astronomers. So many others. I included it in this week's research notes. There's like a list of all of the different catalog yes. items you can see. But those are the big things. Those are the big things that'll be in the in the winter sky or the summer sky for the Southerners. I think the thing that I've heard of the most is the meteor shower that we talked about at the very beginning. Mm, the one we missed? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. But I'm going to post on... I just put it in my calendar to post on our Instagram beforehand just to give people a heads up. So follow, if you're hearing this now, you missed it, but follow along for next time. <laughs> you should in general be following us. Um, yeah, follow yeah. us on, on, on socials. We're Pale Blue Pod. We're very easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've done the list of things that people can see this year. I would like to talk about how people have celebrated this time of year throughout history and then yes. how we plan to celebrate it. I love that. Great. Um, this, this time of year is absolutely covered in folklore like it's it's saturated in mythology there are so many stories and rituals that are associated with this time of year so i'm just gonna talk about a few of them we know that people were tracking and acknowledging the winter solstice at least as far back as the stone age which was twelve thousand years ago Uh, but probably almost certainly they were doing it from way longer than that. Uh, and we know that this is the case because we see uh, monuments and we see, I don't want to call them ruins, but we, we see things that ancient humans set up and built to align with uh, certain parts of the solstice. For example, Stonehenge, the really famous one, um, it lines up with the sun as it sets on the winter solstice. And there are others. Um, It is Mm -hmm. not the only henge. There's Newgrange in Ireland uh, and Mayshow in Scotland. These are other um, henges and and rock formations. They are aligned with sunrise on the winter solstice. And people sign up for lotteries. Thousands of people sign up for a lottery to try and be like inside the, the circle 
when sunrise happens on the solstice. And if you don't win, you just like gather yeah. outside. But it's it's like supposed to be a pretty magical experience. I would love to do that one day. It's cool. for sure on my bucket list to experience a solstice mm-hmm. um, at one of these henges. Other people celebrated not just by standing near a bunch of rocks. The uh, <laughs> the Romans celebrated Saturnalia, which was a time of yeah. hedonism and subversion of the normal social order. So, like enslaved people were temporarily freed um, at this time of year, and like children didn't have to go to school or do their chores, like whatever. Like the normal mm-hmm. rules of society left the door during Saturnalia. That's um, kind of horrifying and great for some and scary for me, Corinne. <laughs> like, it's like the purge. What? Oh, it is a bit like the purge, yeah. But to me, ancient, all of ancient Rome kind of feels like the purge. That's true. It's not like there was the kind of order I'm imagining before that. Yeah. So maybe social disorder like wasn't as meaningful back then. <laughs> Oh, they really actually they really cared about their like class system. Yeah, I think that that is most of what would be overturned. Sure, really, like there were very specific rules around who you could eat with, what entrance to a home you had to take based on your status. Like it was a lot. Ew. Yeah. So that's Rome. Uh, If you move a little bit north to Scandinavia, you see the Norse folk celebrating Yule, uh, which eventually turned into our. Christmas. And so they start to celebrate around the solstice because they are getting excited for the return of the sun. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is common across all of the solstice celebrations. We are marking the longest night of the year because it means that the days are about to get longer and Mm -hmm. the sun is about to um, be strong again. So for Yule, you may have heard of the Yule log. You like find the longest log you can and you bring it home and you start burning it on one end and you feast with your family until the log is done burning. And it can take like up to 12 days if you find a big enough log. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So the Yule log. Um, Iranians have Shabe Yalda, which is also on the solstice to celebrate the victory of light over darkness because their sun god Mithra has uh, defeated darkness and like light is about to come back to the world. Part of that celebration requires eating a bunch of summer fruits because it's believed it will ward off sickness in the dark times. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like it would be remiss if we made an episode about the winter solstice and didn't talk about the whole Christmas timing issue, because mm-hmm. we put Christmas on December 25th and we talk about how it's it's because that's when Jesus, the Christ, was born. Mm-hmm. But um, people have been very skeptical about this yeah. <laughs> for a long time. It's very obvious that the early Christians... Or, or I guess the, the later Christians who had power and were able to influence the calendar, they put it at this time of year because people were already used to having a big celebration that marked the triumph of good over evil, of light over dark. And they really wanted to shoehorn Jesus into that celebration. Sure. So they put it at this time of year. But um, he almost certainly was not born around the December solstice. Uh, some people who are like very big into animal husbandry, so the, the people who take care of animals, mm-hmm. have pointed out that Jesus was born around the time when like something is happening to lambs and sheep. Like it's a it's an important 
time for animals, oh. but that it would have been in the spring. So they, there are many people who put Jesus's birth um, in like the spring to summer months when, and I don't, I don't remember what the details are, but it's supposed to be like, there were lambs by the manger. There were baby lambs by the manger. Oh, and it's like, oh, there wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's something like that. Astronomers have also thrown their hats in the ring. Um, and they've looked at the parts of this, of the Jesus birth myth or story uh, that talks about the star of Bethlehem, the star that the wise men supposedly followed to reach the newborn Jesus. And... Um, this is speculative. Uh, there are no hard conclusions here, but it seems that many astronomers who have studied this type of thing believe that the star of Bethlehem, which was written in the in the text, is like the star that just appeared to mark yeah. the birth of Christ. Um, it may not have been a star at all, but may have been a conjunction of planets. Oh. So they think that it was Jupiter and Venus that got so close together that they became, they looked like one star, one very yeah. bright star. Um, and they've like rewound the clocks to to that time to figure out exactly where is the moon? because And like, is it a full moon or a new moon? And where are all of the planets? And where are they with relation to the sun? Like mm -hmm. they really did that tracking. Um, and it seems likely that Jesus was instead born in June, uh, which is when this conjunction would have happened, around the year 3 BCE, like from yeah. 5 to 3 BCE, um, which means to this whole conversation that uh, we either actually had in the last hour or that I have had in my head all day <laughs> <laughs> about Christmas in the Southern Hemisphere, their winter solstice might actually be the right Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of that. There's some food for thought. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Selfishly, I like Christmas in December because that's when I need a good party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is when we need the party. That is when we yep. need to be reminded that the light will triumph over the darkness. And again in, like, late February, early March. Mm -hmm. That's probably why we have Valentine's Day then. Yeah, Valentine's Day is the only thing getting me through February. It really gets us through. <laughs> yeah. So... Knowing this about Jesus and his likely birth date does not make me feel any differently towards Christmas, because to me, Christmas was never about Jesus to begin yeah, with. It was same. about celebrating with my family. And I know that for other people, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, to provide that information. And, and now that that is out of the way, <laughs> ask <laughs> how you plan on celebrating this uh, this dark but transformative time of the year yeah i'm very excited to go to new york and see my family for actual like traditions i usually put up a tree i don't have anything specific i try to watch a lot of christmas movies during december mm. but i don't watch the hallmark genre of movies really i'll keep them on like in the background on maybe like a weekend afternoon but i find them to be frustrating <laughs> They're just frustrating enough that I'm not having fun. Yeah, they're not good movies. <laughs> there are moments when I'm like, I'm in the mood for exactly like a Lifetime Hallmark style movie, but I really like to get the hits out of the way. Like I watch The Santa Claus and Elf and Ooh. The Family Stone. And what else am I watching? Probably a, gr a version of The Grinch. Mm -hmm. And that's probably all I'll actually do. Oh, 
nice. See, I'm the exact opposite. I don't really watch any of the classics, mm-hmm. but I will watch all of the new Hallmark like Christmas well, then movies. together we're getting them all out of the way. We're getting them all. Perfect. Good. We've just divided and conquered. Yes. Because <laughs> I, one thing you've probably gleaned about me is that I love being right and I love knowing things. Sure. And the the fact that those movies are so formulaic that you know exactly what's going to happen is yeah. so comforting to me mm-hmm. in my Capricorn brain. Yeah, totally. I, I really, it's nice to put on a movie and not... No, I know not to expect any surprises. Yeah, that is really nice. That is the comfort of them, of like, it's simply soothing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Because I've seen the other movies so much, that's probably why it's soothing to me of like, I know exactly what I'm in for. What do you do for the holidays? My father's family has this really fun tradition. My nana, my grandma is one of six. And every year when I was growing up, we would do like Christmas golf where we would start Uh, for breakfast at her brother's house and we would get gifts from her brother and then we would go to her sister's house and lunch was hers. We would go to her house for lunch and we would end at her oldest sister's for like post-dinner snacks. We eat and we get gifts at every house. Oh my God. It's amazing. It starts at like 9 a.m. It goes to 2 in the morning. It's beautiful and I love it. That's so fun. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'll be doing on on the day, the day of Christmas. Um, But I also, I got my Christmas tree up the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, I decorated it just because I like the smell in my home. I always get a live Christmas tree. I also really enjoy carrying the Christmas tree on my own up the New York city blocks. Because yeah. the looks I get. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, when I did this last week and I was carrying it, all I was thinking in my head was like, damn, tell me you're single without telling me you're single. <laughs> like, <laughs> this one little woman walking. Totally. Hoisting a big Christmas tree on her shoulder. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I celebrate. That reminds me that there is a house on Staten Island that decorates to an insane degree. And it's kind of like a tourist attraction. And we'll go and look at that house, like, if I'm in New York for Christmas. Oh, nice. I hope they go big this year. Oh, boy, do they. It's like a whole kind of amusement park, essentially. Like, lights everywhere and then also all these, like, diorama-style things you can see. It's kind of crazy. Oh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. (sighs) Well, listeners, I hope... You are in a cozy place just like we are. And whatever you're doing for the holiday, I hope it's great. And remember, you are space. Yeah, you are. Bye. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. 
If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.